This episode is brought to you by La Quinta by Wyndham. Your work can take you all over the place, like Texas. You've never been, but it's going to be great because you're staying at La Quinta by Wyndham. Their free bright side breakfast will give you energy for the day ahead. And after, you can unwind using their free high-speed Wi-Fi. Tonight, La Quinta. Tomorrow, you shine. Book your stay today at LQ.com. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. So we have Alan Dershowitz to talk about this breaking news story. Uh, So uh, I'm sure everyone knows who Alan Dershowitz is, the leading one of the leading constitutional lawyers in the United States. Welcome to the show, Alan. Well, most important, I come from Brooklyn. Uh, Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what Craig is nodding about. Well, how many Brooklyn Knights do we have in this room? Hey, Craig, I want to talk to you. I want to do a little Brooklyn talk with you sometime. (laughs) Yes, we will, Alan. I'll give you a call. Well, uh, I understand there's some breaking news today that uh, uh, now (laughs) Vice President Pence, uh, they found some documents in his possession. What say you? Who's next? Everybody. Jimmy Carter. Everybody, they're going to find find documents in every single high-ranking person. And I have a solution. I have a solution to it. It's a technological solution. So in order for something to be classified, Somebody has to put a stamp on it that says classified. And every single page that's classified has to have a stamp on it. That stamp should be electronic. It should contain some electronic device that allows the government to keep track of every piece of paper that has been marked classified. So if they want to rummage through somebody's house, all they have to do is put on this little machine. It'll say, oh, there it is. There's another one. There's another one. It'll serve two purposes. Number one, it'll reduce the number of things that are classified, which is so important. There's probably 10 times as much stuff that's classified today that should be classified. So when you have to go through an extra step and put something electronic on, people are going to pause twice about it. And second, whatever is classified then can be can be followed up in the government. Nobody is going to ever say again, whoops, I made a mistake. The classification ended in there. This magic wand gets put over everything before it leaves the White House, before it leaves the vice president's house. And if it clicks and if it has classified material, whoops, it goes right to the archives. Why can't we solve the problem that way? Alan, it's Tony Carbonetti. When you were a young man studying in Brooklyn, before we had this technology, we had librarians. They knew you had a book most, at your house. The, the most honest <laughs> okay. people in the world was librarians. If your book was overdue, they knew it. Someone yeah, can't figure this out, really? Uh, it, it, it's, it's amazing. I, you know, I, I got my education at the Brooklyn Public Library, mm. the Grand Army Plaza Library. They gave me an award a couple of years ago because I always rave about libraries, about how wonderful they are. I was a terrible student in high school, so I got suspended. And my high school was right near the library, so I, I learned everything I know now in the library. But occasionally I have to pay that two you cents You walked a day. in with your nickel or whatever oh, it was to pay it. No, it's two cents two a cents. day. And that was a big deal because I could buy two, um, what are they, they used to call those things, timber floats. You get a, a, a glass of seltzer with a, something on top of it. It was a penny. So I'd have to forego two of those. I mean, hey, we're talking about Brooklyn. Crime, crime and punishment. <laughs> Alan, this is Craig. I have a question about classified sure. documents. I mean, anyway, we should it, define Anthony it. Anthony Weiner just, just texted me. There are 70 million uh, classified documents, but but we need yeah. to define what degree of classified are they. I mean, you know, if it's if it deals with international who powers and international I countries, I mean, we need to know what what degree of classified are these documents. 
You know, I mean, some of them could be deemed classified, but. Yep. And and you have the electronic uh, device on only the most seriously yeah, yeah. Uh, classified um, material. Um, and But I think there have to be ways of doing this. Right now, Definitely. I think people just throw things into their boxes and yeah. send it home and probably never look at them. I mean, when, when, I, when I moved from Harvard, having taught there 50 years, and moved my boxes, there's nothing classified, obviously, but I, I don't know what's in those boxes. I have no idea. That's what my degree is. It's in his box. Grades, you know, <laughs> I, probably have, I probably have the grades of Supreme Court justices, which are not classified, but I'm not allowed to reveal them under the uh, uh, statute. Uh, um, I'm not allowed to reveal the grades of of Supreme Court justices. Have I, I got a deal for you? <laughs> so, Alan, you said something. I know what Ted Cruz. Got Alan's in my next class. book. I know what Elena Kagan got in my class. Wow. I have all these deep dark secrets. I also have deep dark secrets about my clients. You know, mm. uh, I, I I think I've told you this great story. When Netanyahu became prime minister, he invited me into his office. And he said, called me into the side, and he said, Alan, I have a really hard question I want to ask you. I've always been dying to ask you this. Did O.J. do it? I said, said, Mr. Prime Minister, does Israel have nuclear weapons? And he said, you know I can't tell you that. And I said, you know I can't tell you that. If the glove doesn't fit. I have deep, dark secrets, and they're somewhere in my house, in my garage. I don't have a fancy car like uh like Biden, but, you know, I have an old Volvo. Maybe it's in the trunk. I have no idea. Alan, can I ask you a question that's just popping up sure. in California and all the other blue states seem to want to follow? California now wants to introduce in the legislature a so-called wealth tax, which means they'll do an assessment about what your I wealth is. I think that's the most important one. No, and I want to, yeah. and not only do they do want to do a wealth tax and assess you every year, regardless of whether it goes up or down, but... If you leave the state, they want to be able to chase after you. What do you think about the constitutionality of that? Well, it's very interesting. You know, we needed to amend the Constitution to have an income tax. We couldn't have an income tax before we amended the Constitution. So I think it's an interesting question and also the extraterritoriality issue about whether they can chase you around. Uh, Look, there has to be a solution to the problem of extraordinarily wealthy people not paying any taxes at all. There has to be a minimum tax of some kind. But it doesn't have to be a wealth tax. You know, in Massachusetts, there is a property tax where they can go to your house uh, every year and look at your art on the wall and assess it and put a tax on that. And that's very intrusive. A wealth tax, you know, a rational approach that balances income and wealth is not a bad thing. But I don't know how they enforce it. How do you enforce it? How do you administer it? And uh, what happens if your house goes down in value? So you're paying something. You have a $2 million house. You pay taxes on $2 million that year. Next year, it's down to one point five. Does the government give your money back? Look at the fluctuations in the real estate market. Probably, yeah. Have to get a rebate. Look at your stock. Musk would pay $10 billion in taxes one year. Then you'd owe him a $20 billion refund the next year. And this really encourages people people to stay in, uh, in California, doesn't it? Yeah, the real estate people will figure out a way to make sure that they don't have to pay yep. any money on this. They have this. 100 percent, Alan. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry. We're going to go back just for a second to this document thing. Sure. Um, John, you just got some really interesting information. And this leads me to what you said before, well, Alan, that everybody it's has Anthony, documents. It's Anthony Weiner just sent it to me. Yeah. And uh, he was in Congress. And he says 70 million classified documents each year. Right, each year. Each year. And how many people are authorized to do that? 2,000 different people have power to do it. 
So these are everywhere in everyone's garage and now, trunk. The most important one. Attic. A, who killed Kennedy? B, <laughs> the little did, green guy. Did Richard Nixon really tell, take Gleason to see the space aliens? Uh-huh. Okay. Uh-huh. What else do you want to know? What what are on those seventeen and, minutes? And, 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 17 and from minutes. you, who really killed? Who, did OJ really do it? I mean, those are <laughs> those are. It's the same things. answer as does Israel, Israel have I, I, nuclear I, weapons? I'm also yeah. interested. Did, yes, did to Jeffrey all. Epstein, yes. Did Jeffrey Epstein commit suicide? Absolutely uh, not. Quiet, so. <laughs> Absolutely not. Who, who believes <laughs> that Epstein committed suicide in this room? Uh, uh, choice A. Nobody. Choice no, A. The CIA. Choice B. Uh, the uh, British intelligence mm-hmm. choice C Israel. No, I Thanks. think they did the Frankie Five Angels with it. Or, or, they they or basically laid it out for him. <laughs> well, I think he, I think he, I think he committed suicide. He got the Tom Hagen talk. I don't think he could have understood the deal. Uh, he could have tolerated after living in those mansions a life among rats in the in the exactly. detention center. And, in Manhattan, and I think there was negligence that allowed him to commit suicide. Maybe and, and somehow the cameras didn't work, yeah. and, and, the and, were and the guards were asleep. The guards were asleep. Yeah. Uh, and I'll, I'll, I got the Brooklyn Bridge for, for sale. I'm going to give you a good deal on it. Well, Alan, I just told my wife to get rid of all the Brooklyn GOP classified documents in my garage. I told her to shred them tonight because I don't want to be next. Well, you know that's the big issue. The big issue is will anybody shred the? Melissa DeRosa is going to send for them. Do shred the documents now. Will they have committed a crime, even though it's not under subpoena, but are, would they be destroying material that could give rise to criminal prosecutions? Let's always remember, though, the statute says to be guilty, you have to knowingly possess with intent to retain. Now, knowingly possess means you have to know that you have in your possession something that's classified. If it just got stuck in there, it's not a crime. It may be you know, there may be civil liability, but you have to knowingly possess it. That's in the statute. And you have to intend to retain it. And so I don't think they're going to be able to get any of these guys on that criteria. The only person you could possibly get on that Great. would be Trump. Trump has taken the position that he declassified. So it wouldn't be declassified. Oh, but you wait, see Donald Trump's uh, comment on uh, Pence? He yeah, said, leave yeah. him alone. <laughs> leave him alone. He's Alan, an honest man. Alan, thank you so much for coming on. You were great. And oh, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank I look you. forward to this. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. There's so many things happening in the real estate industry uh, uh, in New York and and, and in Florida, New Jersey, uh, we'd like to get an update of uh, what's going on. Uh, construction seems to be at an all-time low uh, because in New York, let's take New York first. Uh, there's no incentives. The 4, 421A, which gives incentives from the city and the state uh, to build new properties, uh, has gone away, and and, uh, and we don't really know if it's going to be in a new budget. And uh, 
interest rates on construction are the highest ever. Uh, and right. home and home sales. Why would anybody give up their home if they have a three percent interest rate versus buying a new home and paying six or seven? And so, Amir, it's your floor to tell us. Listen, I think it's important to look at it in uh, context. You know, um, you know, from 2020, which was a very slow year for construction, to 2021, we added about 8,000 units to, to a total of 28,000 units that were uh, built in uh, New York City. And uh, then it's, things slowed down when the whole um, when the Fed started increasing the interest rates, everything slowed down. The entire cycle slowed down. People, people couldn't buy. People couldn't sell for the same reasons that, that you said. And it's, uh, it's unfortunate because the price of commodities have come down. You know, lumber, as you remember, was uh, at an all-time high just about a, you know, uh, 14, 15 months ago. And now it's uh, dropped down about 70, 80%. So the cost of building has come down. But uh, because of where we are with the Fed uh, and the interest rates, uh, there's just no incentive to build right now. And you know that, uh, especially in New York City, I mean, as a developer and owner, you know that it's, um, the incentives are even less because we have billion-dollar projects that are being proposed even under these terms, but you have a, a city council uh, that has way too much control and they are not allowing, um, you know, some major, major projects. I'm talking about billion-dollar projects in boroughs that could really use it, in neighborhoods that could really use it, in Harlem, in, uh, uh, you know, in parts of Queens. And they've been uh, shut down, and they're being challenged because they expect the developer uh, to give, you know, roughly 50% of the project for affordable housing. Affordable housing is very important in the city. It's part of the fabric of the city. It's important to have it. But, uh, you know, when you ask people uh, to pay what they have to pay for land, uh, for construction costs, for, uh, you know, interest, and then they're supposed to make that work along with 50% or 60% in affordable housing or whatever it is, it's just not feasible. It's not doable. I mean, uh, you know, some of the stuff that you've built, uh, you know, you have to do 70-30 or 80-20. Uh, you know, even to make those work, it's challenging. The burden all of a sudden becomes on the people who can afford to pay rents because, the you know, the rents that you take away, uh, you, you reduce for the affordable housing. Obviously, you, ha you still have to make a dollar. You're a businessman uh, or any developer who's proposing a project. And uh, that challenge becomes, uh, you know, bigger and bigger. The people... You know, especially large developers with uh, uh, tens of millions of dollars to spend, why would they spend it in New York when they can spend it someplace else where uh, uh, the market and uh, they're treated better? Yeah, well, I'll give you a great example. I, last week I was in Dallas and um, I had a dinner with uh, 20 of the biggest developers and landlords in, the, in Dallas, and some of them were from Houston as well. And I, I, you know, I stood up at the dinner and I was like, what do you think it's causing, like with all this stuff happening, every market is slowing down. Why do you think Dallas is still booming? Why do you think uh, that um, you know, people are still moving to Dallas with everything that's happening around the world? And they said, well, there's only one thing. It's uh, social policies in places like Portland, in places like Seattle, in places like New York, Philadelphia, uh, you know, and they started naming all these uh, sort of cities, Chicago. And they're saying that the flow of people and capital from those cities, all the money that should be in those cities, tax bases, real tax bases that we actually use, 
you know, to uh, you know, keep our schools going, keep our transportation going, and pay for our police and fire departments. All of that tax base is moving to Texas right now, uh, you know, when I was talking to these guys. And one of the guys said that he sends a fruit basket to the different mayors, especially a, a big one to the mayor of Portland and Chicago, because they get the highest number of people coming from those places. And uh, it's very unfortunate. I mean, Portland, you know, we don't talk about it too much because it's on the other side of the world, but uh, it's just totally gone. It's it's very unfortunate that a, that an American city could just totally be wiped out. Totally. A lot of a lot of cities have uh, have been destroyed. Uh, San Francisco, I understand, is is a vast wasteland. Uh, Detroit is trying to make it come back, uh, but there's a lot of our cities are becoming vast wastelands. New York City, New York well, State, yeah. I understand, in the last 24 months have lost 484,000 taxpayers. That's a lot of people. Yeah, yeah, but you know, you mentioned Detroit. Detroit, you know, once you lose the city, it takes a long time for the cycle to come back around. It takes a long time for the people to be like, no, drugs are bad, cops are good, we need this. So it takes a long time for that change to take place. Uh, you know, Detroit's been at it for almost 35 years, and they're still nowhere. I mean, like, it's um, it's still not. Once you lose it, once you lose it, you lose it. Once you lose it, it's not going to come back in our lifetime, unfortunately. And I, uh, so that, that's why we have to fight for it. Uh, you know, I've never been so active as I am because I, I can really see it. I can really see it. When I go to these other cities, I can see us losing our city. And it, it just breaks my heart because I love this place. It's the most unique place in the world. I've traveled the world. There's no place like New York. And uh, it's so important to fight for it and to fight for what you think is important for the city. Uh, Amir, uh, thank you very much. Uh, uh, we were going to, you know, our, our time limit is up for today, but I want to talk to you again on, on Florida, and I want to talk to you about Texas, and I want to talk to you about uh, other items. Uh, but uh, this is a great education for the people of New York uh, to, to understand, and um, uh, you're doing a I appreciate great you, day. John. Anytime, anytime you want to chat, I'm happy to talk. Thank, Thank you. you so much and, for having me. If, if one of our listeners ha- wants to subscribe to The Real Deal, how do they do it? They just go to therealdeal.com and, uh, you know, they get five articles for free, but then after that they have to pay. We, you know, and they could follow us on Instagram and Facebook and all that stuff as well. And uh, that's The Real Deal, the Bible of the real estate industry. Thank you so much, Amir, and we'll catch up again real soon. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Guess who we have on now? We have Staten Island Borough President Vito Fasella. Vito, welcome to the show. Thank you kindly. Good evening. Uh, I, and I just have to tell you, I was speaking earlier with uh, Mrs. Katzmatidis, with Margot Katzmatidis, and she was singing your praises uh, for your state of the borough. And I know those things can be kind of difficult and painful sometimes, but apparently yours was amazing. I'm sorry I missed it. Oh, well, thank you. It was very, very kind of John and Margot to, to share the night with us, made it that much more special. special. Uh, give, so, us a, a, give us a, a little bit of Staten Island, but give us your, your feeling on the state of the city, because I was just telling Laura, we're losing population. Uh, and, and by the way, Buffalo went from 600,000 down to 220. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm worried about us, uh, our, our, uh, Staten Island. I'm worried about the city. And we should be, right? That's that's our responsibility. We should be concerned, but at the same time, we have to figure out a way to make things better. 
And that's what we try to do on Saturday night uh, for Staten Island State of the Borough was highlight those things that we that are positive. Uh, the people among them, there's some great people who want to do well, uh, whether it's in the school system, whether it's the small business owners. We have to figure out a way to promote them, engender them, to allow them to excel. And and the the handful, two, three, four, five percent of individuals who try to ruin it for everybody else need to be addressed and taken care of, but not at the expense of the vast majority of people who just want to go raise a family, make a living and contribute to not just to Staten Island, but to New York city. And we try to do it on our end in Staten Island. And I know John and others in the studio promote every day, how we need to make things better across our city and across our state, because the trend is not a good one, but we need to not just throw up our hands, but we have to make a point to, to say we're, we're going to fight this thing. We did it years ago, and we have to do it again. So real quick, before I give it to the rest of our, our roundtable here, uh, I, I, Mayor Adams is in a really tough spot with the migrant situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Real failure at the, fa- at the federal level. The locals are left holding the bag and have to actually handle it. How do you feel about his uh, plan to have migrants stay at the shipping terminal, not far from you in Staten Island? <laughs> Yeah, I, I think he has a very difficult position. And if you remember, uh, we at the very get-go, when the first busloads arrived, we said this was going to be unsustainable mm. and the city was going to left holding the bag. And part of it is a lot of folks are missing the point. It's this right-to-shelter law, that policy, if you will. It's, a, it's an agreement that's been in place uh, for probably 40 years or so. And it was never intended to house or accommodate tens of thousands of asylum seekers. It was Mm. intended to have transitional uh, housing for homeless who were in this city or just arrived. Uh, And secondly, it actually works against the so-called Callahan Decree, if you ask me, because it takes money away from those who are truly looking for transitional housing. And third, it was never intended to be an extension of the federal program or the federal government for asylum seekers. So he's dealing with that. My public cry would be that thing needs to be revisited and the parties to the agreement need to sit and understand that this was not the intent and the people who are paying through the nose for this are city taxpayers. Yeah, I know we can't hear you, Vito. Uh, uh, Craig, go ahead. Uh, Vito, this is Craig. I'm sorry I missed uh, Saturday, but uh, that video was amazing. I-, I watched it online. But just just to touch on what's going on here, we're losing hardworking taxpayers to Florida, Texas, and other states. And we're Tennessee, filling. Tennessee, I heard. And, and North it's going to be, it's gonna be all the Carolina. other states. I mean, they're going to go to ev- everywhere. But and and we're filling them in with these migrants who we have no idea anything about their education, their medical situation, whether they're terrorists, where they're coming from, what their ideas are, and well, what they what can do here. Look what happened in Nassau County, in your county, Laura. Well, that that's organized crime coming from South America, from Chile, Venezuela, Colombia. That that's sort of a different and, and, but, topic. And nobody and nobody's talking to nobody's che- double checking when they cross the border. That's right. And they so these other countries send well. Well, the, it's the criminals still. send these. Bur- they have organized. As Laura is absolutely right. They have organized crime. They come in. They burglarize suburban. Because they home. know they'll get in. They get in. They get in jail, and, and then they'll go right out. Because the so-called bail reform, they can't hold them. And then they go they right back plane, home again. They have a plan, they yeah. go back. It's a disgrace what's happening. Vito, what, what are your thoughts? You 
No, I agree, and you were missed, Craig. Uh, and what's happening here in the last couple of years is just a, a welcome mat, right? In the past, people snuck in, figured out a way to come, and took advantage of the system. Now it's basically basically saying you can get whatever you want. And if you remember, we did the study months ago that said it costs about $83,000 a year to accommodate a family, which uh, you know is shocking, I think, to anybody who's working 40 or 50 hours a week to, to make put food on the table for their family. So the, the priorities are screwed up. Uh, the federal government, yes, in fact, needs to stop at the, south, the southern border. But at the same time, the city, I think, needs to revisit this right to shelter policy because unless that is revisited, these, uh, these if you will, these numbers are just going to keep climbing and the people are going to get socked to the New York City taxpayers. And I don't frankly think that's right. V- Vito, it's Tony Carbonetti. How are you? Good, Tony. Good, Tony. Um, can you just declare that these migrants have federal status and therefore the city laws don't apply to them? Because, yes, you could just get off a plane in New York City from Germany, having never been here, and say, I'm homeless and the city's required to to give you a place to sleep at night. But if the federal government put you here, can the city not fight with the federal government over that? Yeah, so I think, and Tony, when you were Rudy, I'm sure this issue came up because every mayor has had to deal with this. Yep. The, par- the parties to the lawsuit, or the, let's say the Coalition for the Homeless, the Legal Aid Society, and Corporation Council, the city of New York, and I think they need to sit down and work out a compromise because, as you say, it's one thing for a person to show up or a family to show up. It's another for the federal government to open the front door mm-hmm. and say, 30,000 people, you know, go ahead and we'll accommodate you, we'll feed you. It's just not right. And frankly, while we all appreciate the, the beauty of our country and the country of immigration, what's happening now is destroying that whole image. And, Vito, it's not just New York City. It's all the cities where the migrants come. Because when they get in here, they disperse throughout the country. So every every city and every town is now a border town. And they just don't have the resources to support it. Right. With the exception of Martha's Vineyard. (laughs) Well, welcome to Martha's Vineyard. Now get the hell out. And they're going to overburden. They're going to overburden the health systems, the education systems and everything else in all these cities. If the kids are sick and they end up going to the same schools as our kids, they can get sick and they haven't been checked. You know, the it's one thing mess. that's missing all this, and we all know it, those of I, I was fortunate to serve in Congress, and uh, there are thousands of people who are waiting years to come here legally, yep. three, four, five, six, eight years, and, and they have to wait in line. They, you know, as much as they cry about it, whine about it, we're, we're, we're bending over backwards to accommodate. It's just not right. You're right. Vito Fasella, borough president of uh, the great uh, Staten Island, thank you so much for coming on, and we'll talk again real soon. God bless you, John. Thank you, everybody. Have a good night. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Handling legal matters is stressful. So let the law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. provide you with the insightful counsel you deserve. The law offices of Frank Bruno Jr. has successfully handled thousands of cases for 25 plus years. They focus on elder law and estate planning, but are equipped to navigate you through all stages of family law and divorce to real estate law and probate. The law offices of Frank Bruno. Call 718-418-5000 or visit them at frankbrunolaw.com. That's frankbrunolaw.com. Frank Bruno. He's your numero uno. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. Well, we got more breaking news from John Solomon. Things are really, really happening today. And today, uh, former Vice President uh, Mike Pence, there were documents found in his possession. Does this this go on all the time? Uh, What say you, John Solomon? 
Well, listen, another day, another discovery. It's getting kind of comical, and except for one real, un, very serious underlying issue. And I think this is the issue that most Americans, when we strip the politics away, we need to begin to understand the system by which we classify secrets and then track those secrets is broken. Anyone who's a VIP obviously could walk off and transmit classified information. Uh, we saw it with Hillary Clinton's email. We saw it at Mar-a-Lago. We saw it with Mike Pence. And, of course, we see it at multiple locations with Joe Biden. And so no matter where the political chips fall on this, no matter where the legal chips fall on this, the, the intelligence communities, the ones that have been spending time on things like trying to get Americans' opinions censored on Internet or uh, pursue Russia collusion that didn't exist, they aren't doing their own core job of making sure the secrets that they want to protect are protected. These things are uh, secrets are walking out the door with VIPs with way too much ease for the sort of sensitivity of information that's included in all these documents. That's the big question I think Washington is going to have to come to grapple with. And I think now for the first time, I'm seeing bipartisan support, Democrats and Republicans realizing this is a broken system. We've got to fix that no matter what the Trump Biden politics of this play out to be. So but, in other words, are they going to give everybody a pardon? <laughs> well, they may they may end up uh, not just choosing not to indict everyone, right? Saying that the system itself was broken and that it's an accidental uh, people. It was too easy for people to walk out and not know they even walked out with the documents. I think that's a likely outcome from some of the legal experts I'm talking to. Uh, but there's a much larger question here on the Biden side, which is because Joe Biden had these documents in a place where his son, who was in the throes of addiction, and in the throes of Chinese negotiations, because a lot of these documents are there, I think there's going to be a secondary question of who had access in the Biden family and did any of the information go out to the business partners that enriched the Biden family, uh, particularly in the time frame where these documents are, are walking out. That may not go away right away. I think the larger issue of handling classified documents, it's now a bipartisan problem. And like Washington almost always does, it ends up finding an excuse for VIPs not to punish them. I think the bigger system is going to be what is the CIA and FBI and others going to do to tighten up the system. But, John, I think there's, there's other things we need to talk about with respect to Biden, because a lot of those documents were found in his garage. And, yes. and there is and we don't have we don't really have a, a, a clear identification as to who had access to that garage. The Secret That's Service right. say that they don't keep lists of who accesses that that premises. So, so right. we have a real problem here. I mean, I think the Biden document situation is totally different than the Trump document situation and potentially different than the Pence document situation. I agree. In that these documents were left in a garage near a car that his son had access to. His son has many problems, um, and, and, and there's a lot of charges against him. And, and I think we really need to focus in on who was in that house. I mean, anyone could have had access to those documents. I, uh, listen, I agree. That is why I focus so much on all of the uh, political connections of Hunter Biden, because at the moment, these documents are sitting in the Biden home. Some are in the garage, some are in the house in multiple locations. Hunter Biden is courting Chinese officials. Two of those Chinese officials get arrested, one in China for corruption, one in the United States for making illegal bribery payments to try to help China get into Africa. So he has two uh, communist China tied business partners who end up getting in legal trouble during the time frame when these documents are sitting in the home and during the time frame when Hunter Biden lists that home, that Wilmington home, as his official residence on his driver's license and on many documents that we found on the laptop. So Hunter Biden was claiming that was his home. He's there all the time by his own acknowledgement. 
and those documents are sitting in an insecure way. That's what James Comer will be focusing on uh, uh, in the question of, was this part of an influence peddling scheme? And the first thing is, what's in those documents? Were there things in those documents that would be valuable to any of Hunter Biden's? That's one of the questions. And then two, who had access to the home? Did Hunter Biden have meetings at the home? That's some of the work that the committee's doing right now. John, John Solomon, as an American, as growing up in America uh, for the last 70 years, I am very much concerned that it's in Washington, it's all about money and who's going to put money away versus country, versus yeah. worrying about America. I mean, are they buying all our politicians? Are they buying all our uh, institutions, all our colleges? Do the Chinese have influence on all our colleges, our borders, our politicians? I, I, I am crying for America. What say you? Yeah, listen, there are some really serious issues about the revolving door. About Remember the story I had last week where Joe Biden, while he's sitting in the vice presidency of the White House, is riding his business partner and Hunter Biden saying, I want to learn my earnings potential. You don't want your uh, government officials thinking about their earnings potential when they're handling the most important uh, secrets in the country and, and dealing with the most important dom- uh, domestic and foreign uh, 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 challenges that America has. But that's what Joe Biden was focused on. You see these emails where the vice president is quoted saying, I want to know what my earning potential is. I want to know what my wealth creation capability is. And he's driving his son towards the sort of deals that occur in China, Ukraine, Russia, that we're all concerned about now. And he's facilitating some of those deals. He brings Hunter Biden on Air Force Two to meet the Chinese. He meets with the Ukrainian Burisma people. He's firing the prosecutor that was looking at uh, his son's company. Joe Biden is facilitating and creating not only a create a preparedness of a conflict of interest, but the real question that we all have in our minds now was when he takes an action now, is it because it's in the best interest of the country or because one of his son's business partners had something on the family or was owed something? That's a question we don't want to have about our public officials, but we do far too often these days. We got one minute left. We have one more subject. What else is on the agenda today? What well, what else uh, keeps you uh, sleepless at night? <laughs> well, I will say this. I, I think a lot of people are keeping their eyes on Atlanta, Fulton County, where the district attorney has asked that the grand jury investigation into the Georgia 2020 election case, that's one that affects people like Rudy Giuliani and Donald Trump and other Trump aficionados, uh, not to make it public yet because charging decisions are imminent. That's a big uh, a hint from the uh, district attorney. We don't know if anyone will be charged or no one will be charged, but all eyes are on Atlanta to see if the Fulton County district attorney brings any charges in connection with the efforts to reverse the Georgia election results in 2020. So it's not not eminent? It won't be on today? Uh, Well, the report will not be released today because the the, uh, district attorney has asked the court to withhold it a few days because what is imminent is a decision on whether to charge anyone. So the charges will come before the release of the report if there are any charges. John, this is Craig Eaton again. I just had one thing going back to the Hunter Biden. I mean, the biggest problem here is what documents did he maybe that he took from that garage. What documents could he have taken that are extremely classified and dangerous? We're we're never going to know, but something needs to be done. We need to change the way we do business in this country. And and, and the word treason has to start, (laughs) the word treason has to start being effective in, in Washington. I think some people have to go to jail. Some people, I hate to even say it. Some people have to be shot if they've been treasonous. 
And uh, but uh, I I don't know anymore. I, I I cry for our country, John Solomon. Yeah, a lot of people do. We're at a tipping point. Right? The country we've known and revered is in danger of losing a lot of the the great things that made it great. But there's a moment now where I think a lot of people are reflecting, and I think the fact that we're having conversations like this, a lot of other people are too. Hopefully that results in the sort of action that pulls this great country in the right direction. Thank you, John Solomon, and we'll catch up with you again real soon. Thank you, Craig. Great honor to be with you guys. Thank you. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash specialoffer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash specialoffer. This is Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network. We have with us Professor of Medicine at the NYU Langone Medical Center and Fox News contributor, Dr. Mark Siegel. Dr. Siegel, welcome. Oh, great to be back on. How are you doing? Great. So we all read your uh, op-ed in today's post. Really interesting stuff. Um, We're talking a lot about the migrants. You're focusing on the border agents and their mental health and their physical health. What are you seeing? Well, it's not it's not unrelated because they're because as more and more migrants come in and more and more migrants uh, are having problems, more are injured. uh, The flood of migrants and and the fact that they're filling the detention centers and the fact that there's a drug trade going on and human trafficking, sex trafficking, drug trafficking, the fact that the cartels are paying twenty dollars a head for this means that there's a flood of migrants that are that have health issues um, that the, that the border protection agents have to handle. Meanwhile, the number of suicides has gone up to an, to a, the highest it's been in over a decade, and many are retiring. They're working under great stress, and now there's a problem because they, they're doing lie detector tests before they hire new people to replace them, and over half are getting turned down. So it's a perfect storm. Great shortage, not enough replacements. Let's over-scrutinize the people who want to do this job, and, and they're not being called the heroes they are. Hmm. So, John, I'm sure you read this article. What are... This is this is I, I mean am, I think it's really important that I this is paid attention to about our borders. Uh I am an immigrant. I believe in immigration. And what I've said to several senators, and senators are supposed to be um I guess the statesmen of our country. And uh what I said to them, immigration, yes. But maybe we should set up along the Texas border, maybe along the uh, uh the New Mexico border, the uh, Arizona, Arizona border, Ellis Island type operations where people come through and we check check these people out like we did on Ellis Island. Uh, you know, you know, they would quarantine them. Do we have to quarantine them? Do we have tuberculosis? Do we have? Uh, are the kids coming in going to make our kids sick? Or are the are the people coming in where they, the Venezuela decide to get rid of all their prisons? So they send them up here. Are we reintroducing diseases that we have cured? It's happened. Well, not to mention ones we haven't cured. The amount of COVID that comes in is tremendous. You know, just to give you an idea of the numbers of this, 
There is more than a quarter million encounters with migrants at the southern border last month alone from CBP. More than a quarter million encounters. And gotaways, those who have evaded authorities that CBP is supposed to keep tracking, has, has been over 1.2 million since January of 2021, over the past two years. And if, if Title 42 gets pulled back, which is ridiculous that it would, because, again, the purpose of Title 42 is to protect us from incoming health uh, threats, and that's the Biden administration trying to get that pulled back, this whole problem Our is going to double or triple. And Doctor, our country is being invaded. What about terrorists? I don't mind. I want immigration. We need immigrants, but we need if we need if we need uh, uh, computer operators, bring in computer operators. If we need laborers, bring in laborers. If you need farm workers, bring in farm workers. But let's make sure that these people are not terrorists. Let's make sure these people are not bad people. We need a comprehensive we, we plan. Want, hey, we need a comprehensive well, plan. I, I was an immigrant. When I got my citizenship papers, I was asked to pledge allegiance to the to, to the to the United States of America. Are these people going to be asked to pledge allegiance? No. Why are we bringing in people that might not be good people? So in this room, well, we- uh, uh, by the way, I'm looking at this. Uh, by the way, John John made this country a lot happier and a lot richer that he was allowed in. But let's face it, as he just pointed out, he was screened. They used to screen for what was called scrofula, which was tuberculosis of the neck. You had to have your neck examined. There was a pause at Ellis Island, a medical pause going on. Now we have drug trafficking instead among illegal immigrants who aren't screened at all. I'm looking at this purely from a public health point of view. And by the way, I've been told by Homeland Security in interviews, this isn't going to surprise anyone that's on the air, that public health is also national security. You know, this is going to take bipartisan work in Washington to get done. It's been talked about forever. It doesn't happen. And I'm wondering if the politics in this country is so toxic right now that people won't be able to work together to actually fix this problem. That's out of control. It's out of control. And it's even worse because I, in doing some research for tonight's show, found out that the Vera Institute here in New York had over $350 million to defend illegal immigrants from where being did, deported. Where did the money come from, Judge? It came from the federal government. So catch this. They're not protecting our border. They're not protecting our public health. They're not protecting our national security. We're not a country without borders. And yet the Vera Institute gets $350 million from our federal government, who's supposed to protect us, to fight they're being deported. I mean, is this a bizarre world or what? Hey, Judge, I have a question for you as a Democrat, which, which is there's a joke here, which is I think the Democrats think that illegal migrants are going to turn into Democrat voters. But I don't think they actually do. They don't even vote Democrat once they're here, right? Well, I'll tell you what the, the dirty little secret is. The Democrats believe that that's going to be their voters. But you remember the law that was passed by the city council signed by allowed to go into law by Adams led to sit on his desk? which in municipal elections allowed non-citizens to vote. So what do you think they're going to vote for? More benefits, more rights, more protections. <laughs> so non-citizens are going to tell you and me and everybody else in this studio how to spend the money that we work for and pay the taxes for, and they're not even citizens. Pretty and sure that doesn't end well. It's not going to and It's going to get worse, Tony. And you know why? Because the New York State Legislature, controlled by the radical left in the Democratic Party, if they're successful in packing the New York Court of Appeals, then when they pass laws throughout the, the state of New York, all municipalities allowing non-citizens to vote, they're going to pack all the local governments. 
So nobody's safe. Nassau is not safe. Suffolk's not safe. Westchester is not safe. Rockland's not safe. Upstate is not safe. They're just packed with illegal immigrants who are going to vote ways to get a free ride. We're seeing a lot of uh, our newer residents, a lot of Hispanic folks and Asian folks who are actually becoming more Republican. They're leaning more Republican. We saw that in the yep. in the 2020 midterms here in New York for sure. Uh, so maybe they won't become Democrats. Hardworking family values. They'll become Republican. So well, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about the drug trade here. Yes. There's two two main cartels, Sinaloa and Jalisco, that are basically making all of this highly powerful opioids in labs and then then paying people to take them across the border, smuggle them across the border. It goes beyond that. Look, at we legalized uh, marijuana. And, and you know, I understand from what age to what age, uh, from the age of 12 to the age of 26, what does it do to the human brain, doctor? It, it changes behavior. And some of it is irretrievable. And it, it, it interferes with attention. It, it interferes with motivation, actually. It interferes with test-taking ability. So and, if and I'm 70 it, years it, old, it I can smoke marijuana because, eh, I'm at the end. <laughs> I hope not. We certainly hope not. But there's a big difference between marijuana and fentanyl. And, and what the doctor is talking about, this fentanyl, the ingredients come from China to the cartels in Mexico. And it is marketed right on social media to our kids. Uh, they have very sophisticated marketing, a very sophisticated uh, distribution network, and we're losing a huge plane. You know, you could pack a, a big jumbo jet full of people, crashes every day. That's how many people we're losing from fentanyl. And, and Laura, you, you I mean, you didn't add in one point there. Some of it's fake. I mean, some of the fentanyl is laced with pills that that, that our teens think are something else, like Adderall. They're getting Adderall, or they think they're getting Percocet, which I don't want them to have. But they they get rainbow fentanyl. It looks like candy. Yeah. And there's and there and there's all of this fake pill problem. And the DEA has been confiscating this stuff, but only a tiny fraction of it. It yeah, it's it's like a, a Sisyphean task. You know, doctor, this is Craig Eaton. Um, an uncle of mine was a career DEA agent, and uh, and he told me for years and years and years. They cannot legalize marijuana, he said, because what happens is you legalize marijuana, they start taking marijuana, they're not happy with that, they go to the slippery next drug. They just keep it's a, it's a slippery drug. slope. They just gateway keep going drug. up and up and up. But there was an article the other day, Suffolk County Police Department said the family should keep an eye on their children's candy wrappers because there's a chain of convenience stores selling cannabis infused gummy candies now. This was all over social media a few days ago. It's it? getting crazy. It's up to 50% THC in those candies. And let me tell you, <laughs> yeah. let me tell you, that's another scam, oh, yeah. which is marijuana is not marijuana anymore. Now yep. it's something else. It's laced with something, yep. Well, Doctor, thank you so much for coming on. It's Cats at Night on the Red Apple Podcast Network.